Welcome to the MK Performance Chat. Of course, special mention goes to my sponsors and supporters. In particular, S-Fuels for performance and lifestyle nutrition, along with hydration, Team Purpose for racewear and training apparel, and of course, my personal sponsors that have contributed to my triathlon journey over the last four years, Kerry Logistics and Hunter Campbell Recruitment. And welcome to the MK Performance Chat, where we talk about everything from training to racing, sports psychology to nutrition, mostly centered around triathlon, but completely applicable to any athlete within their chosen sport. My name is Matt Kerr, and most recently I've become the 2021 Age Group Ironman World Champion at Utah St. George. On these chats, I'm joined by my coach, Grant Schofield, in fact, Professor Grant Schofield to discuss age group relevant topics that we both believe are some of the most basic and most fundamental principles that any athlete can apply to their training and racing program. Of course, we all want to experience success. We want to share our story. We want other age groupers to experience success. And we believe we have some of the key principles that any age grouper can apply to their training and racing program. Since the success at St. George, both Grant and I have been overwhelmed with the response from the age group community. People want to know how we do things, what we do. In fact, we certainly do and have done things very differently. Here's our opportunity to give back and help those that are out there and answer some of your questions and provide vital information which we can only hope you apply to your training program. Okay, here we are, the NK Performance Podcast with Matt Kerr. Hi, Matt. Hey, how are you, Grant? Good, yeah, they're Matt Grant, Grant Scorpio. So I'm the coach, Matt's the athlete, but it's probably a fairly collaborative arrangement. We've just been shooting out our talks before we joined here. We wanted to talk about the following things today. So let's just list them out. Reverse periodization, doing intensity without specificity to start with, and then the closer you get to an event, getting more specific and maybe the intensity goes down a bit. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how to run when you're not running. And familiar with that at this point in time. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about zone two and, and polarization of training as well. So this first That's went on quite nicely. I think that's led on quite nicely from where we finished up last chat around the performance gaps and, and gains to be made. Yeah, right. So if you're racing in the endurance sport, we talked about triathlon here, then the reality is that you know, across all of the components of fitness, speed, strength, suppleness, flexibility, agility, skill, psychological, stamina, endurance, you know, there's six or seven dimensions of fitness from from skill through to mobility to to just straight endurance to the ability to develop speed and power. And those vary across three sport and then the sort of combination of those things as one whole sport. Everyone's gonna have something they can make more gains on than something else. Because, you know, like for me I don't know, something like range of movement in my swimming action is such a limiting factor that It'd be easier to work on that and get that, you know, another five centimeters of, of arm motion than it, than it is to go into another five k's of swimming. So 
you know, there's, there's easier gains to be had for some people than others, right? Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. So, so then the question is, how do you do that when you try to train for a specific event and that event has quite obvious demands, like you're doing an Ironman or a 70.3 or even an Olympic distance triathlon, but just making the distance. It is something for a start, so you, and you end up like trading around how you get a race at it. So we've gone for, I don't know if other people use this much. I haven't really done much investigation to it, but, but Andreas Romanos, who's a friend of both of ours, who's an exercise scientist, a medical doctor, a pretty good ultra endurance runner. When I was talking about how we were planning training, he was like, oh yeah, that's reverse periodization of a real fan of that. And I was like, oh, oh, it's such a thing. But what we've done is do things like VO2 type of work, even for an Ironman triathlete and at the very start of say a 12 week preparation. So you know, really hard, give it everything you've got intervals over a short period of time of longer rest, which has nothing much to do with the Ironman racing, but do that for four or five weeks, then we'll transition to getting rid of those and going into some more threshold type intervals, which again, you don't even race at, but then in the last five or six weeks that you'd have neither of those and go into very specific how that resembles a 70.3 or Ironman race. So why don't we just talk about the bike and how you might do that? What do you, what phase are you in down at? Yeah. Hey, just going back a couple of clicks there. It's funny you mentioned Andreas because I was actually talking to him the other day. He's quite keen to jump on this and, and have a conversation. So I think there's probably value to get him on at some point over the next couple of weeks and, and we could potentially uh, revisit what we're. Yeah. We're talking about that and all that stuff. And also Andreas is like, he's got these, like the yummiest things ever, these Rome little, they're not gels, they're like nut butters. But little like snack sachets. Yeah. Snack sachets. <laughs> right. I had to give them, I had some, but I've given them to my son because, you know, for where I'm at or by training, they're just too calorie dense and I'm just going to get too fat, well, too fat, even fatter than I am. But the, yeah, the just beautiful little things to take out on endurance activities. Yeah. Okay, we'll, get, we'll try and get into yourself. So what will yep. get hold of him and see what he's up to. Yeah. Well, what phase are you in at the moment? Hey, so good question. Yep. We had a couple of weeks just there of gathering our thoughts and, and planning ahead and, and we're pretty much exactly as you've described into that reverse periodization or, or, or yeah, so we, we've got a block there, but it's an extended time, but definitely the first segment of this block is more orientated around, um, specificity that's not necessarily race requirement or, or is not needed in the race, but it's good to be doing some of that stuff somewhere in in your training and this is a perfect time to do it we, d we don't have a race coming up that's immediate of about four or five weeks away so so we sort of schedule this into to what we've got going on at the moment and that involves yeah as you as you mentioned some higher end bike vo2 work and some threshold building interval work on the bike as well yeah so this one with the vo2 so people get confused about what do you mean by this but there's vo max type intervals so here's what we mean by them so it's not that lactate short sprints of eight or so seconds. It's for us, it's intervals that are between one, three minutes with a couple of minutes rest in between could do up to 30 minutes of these, but at the moment, I think we're doing about 18 minutes on, on the trainer because it's on the bike. It's really hard to do them on the road. Just can't control that much power. And 
you just get all over the place and running is quite a high injury activity. So give us an example of a VO2 bike session that you did. You've done over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So we, we look at in a three, two and one minute block. So going through three minutes, you have a rest after those three minutes, two minutes, have a rest after that and one minute and then repeat that cycle for four rounds. So that's currently a little block that I'm on at the moment and, and determining the wattage or the power and, and what we prescribe that at, as you say, it's on the trainer. So with the power is set, it's on ergmo. So it's a matter of keeping up the demand of pushing that power through. And as the interval period gets shorted between the two and the one minute, we've actually increased the power that, that needs to be put out for that time. Previously, we've just done a set wattage across, you know, maybe a four, three, a two and a one. And over say four weeks, we've faded out the ones and the twos and the threes eventually getting to, you know, it could be four by four minutes at that significant power. But yeah, we're just finding that we're trying to really maximize as much of those interval periods as possible, even if it is just one minute, you know, so that the difference that we've got at the moment between the three minute and the one minute intervals is about what's that 30 Watts at the moment. So just to put this in context so people won't have exactly these numbers, because otherwise they're probably a bit world champion. Uh, so your threshold is probably on the bike is around 355 to 360. And so we end up doing these VO2 intervals are about 115% of that, which is, I don't know, upwards of over 400 watts for, for a few minutes, which is pretty intense, right? Even for you. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Does it hurt? Yes. Yep. And hence why we're only doing it. Hence why we're only doing it periodically. And I think this is last time I revisited a, an interval block like this was end of last year. So it's not something that's certainly there present in your training blocks all the time. Oh, so we do it sort of month or so every four to six months. Yeah. And it's pretty brutal. It's pretty intense, but it definitely takes away from your energy to do other training. Agreed. Completely agreed. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and there's a bit of a mind, you know, there's, there's a lot going on as well, not just physically to be able to complete them, but also to actually get your mind through the set as well. Yeah. I, see, I reckon that. An easier way to do this is if you, you and your mate did them, if you had two people doing them at the same time together on the, in the same physical place on a trainer would make a massive difference, eh? Huge difference, I think. Yep. Yeah. But, but you haven't got that. This is the nature of what we got. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So that would help. And I've had other athletes do some of the things and they just adjust, you know, they, they weigh less than you do. They're not, their virtue is not as good, not experienced. So they'll, they'll have the same word, but down at, at you know, it's power, but still 115% or so of their of their threshold. So it's, yeah, it's the same amount of harness you're doing. The leg mode, what, what are you using? Well, the power's there. You can't run away from it. It's like, if you set the power at 400 Watts, it's going, you, you got to, whatever you're pedaling, whether it's 50 cadence or, or a hundred cadence, you're going to be producing 400 Watts. So I guess that's the beauty of it is that there's, there's no variation. It is what it is. And you just got to, you got to keep up the power's position. generated. That's right. If your cadence gets too low, it kills you. No, no, so do you get out of your seat? How do you change your position during it? Or do you stay in the Euros the whole time? No, I'm, I'm definitely out of my seat and, and on the base, base bars. But, oh, sorry, in in the seat, just not in the aero for, for that time. So I've been doing my own VO2 intervals just to, I don't know, feel some sort of compassion for you. Oh, I think there's good coaching, right? Yep. But what, what I've noticed is how, you know, it's like there's a warp in the space-time continuum. So 
time goes at a very different pace in a VO2 interval than it would over in a normal society. Is that true? I hugely agree with that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know what it is. If you want your life to seem like it's going on for longer, then you could do VO2 intervals because it will definitely feel like it's going on for longer. <laughs> if you're that way, Colin. <laughs> that, that's, that's the glass half full view on VO2 intervals in the book. Now I have had, uh, done this with runners that I coach are just purely runners. And I would do something on that. I, I always did on the treadmill and I do a session where I pretty much keep the treadmill belt going at full speed. Like it would be running at 19.2 k's an hour or something and just belting around. So their rest is taken by putting their feet out the side mm-hmm. and the, the bell would be going. <laughs> so, you know, which is right. I might do something like 200 jump off for, 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 you know, for 20 to 30 seconds. 400 jump off for 40 seconds, 100 jump off for a couple of minutes, back to 400, back to 200, a little pyramid like that, have a longer jog in between, go and do that whole pyramid again. It's a sort of VO2 type work. Like, this is, that sounds familiar, actually. Sounds very Yeah, we've done something like that. I think we might have done it with time rather than Yeah, I think we've done it with time. So uh, 20 seconds, 40 seconds, 60, 90, uh, something like that, and then back down uh, yeah. again at that belt, just quite high. I mean, it's good, but it's just like when you're belting along with that little, con- you know, to get that intensity out, you actually have to lose quite a bit of control. Yeah. So it's really, it's a little bit dangerous on the run, to be honest. I prefer to do that with on the bike. On the bike, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, that's a really interesting thing for people to consider. It's like, it's really interesting because, you know, racing Ironman at 70.3, you're not touching that system at all, but is there something to be said for overall increasing VO2? the overall output of the machine, the sort of amount of power that you can cope with. I, I reckon there is. I think so. You know, like as you get closer and closer to the event, there's no avoiding the obvious. You have to do the specific work that is required for the event on the day. And that comes down to specificity within the training program. And realistically, it's like, are you going to be pushing through some VO2 intervals on race day? Well, no, not, but I don't know if you do, I think you've made a massive mistake. Huge mistake, but you know, trying to increase that bar of your VO2 and, and your threshold, all of those values, trying to lift them in a way that is not detrimental to the specific training required before an event. Well, we think that this is a pretty good way to do it. Yep. Okay. So then the middle phase, typically of a fine man, we might extend this if it's a 70.3 is to do more threshold intervals. So we'll talk about, we do those by running and bike. Let's talk about the bike type of intervals that you might do there. At the moment? Yeah. Well, at the moment, and then what? You know, I think we bought these ones for a bit just because you've got a running injury. Yeah. But yep. what would you uh, do? And what, what do you yeah. do there? Yeah. So I guess typical was sort of eight by six minutes. It's, it's, it's working between that, I guess, six to eight minute block at a, at a pretty, at your upper end of threshold. And when we say threshold, we're, we're falling below that VO2 zone, but certainly above the aerobic zone as well. And, and it, it's an interval that hurts. It's a long interval, like it's, you know, six to eight minutes. So there's some time duration there when you're on the trainer specifically and, and it goes on. Oh, and so you'd probably do those two thirds of the trainer, one third of the road. Yeah. I think, the value, I think the value on the trainer is significantly, especially when you're talking at the top end of thresholders, you're getting more out of it because being able to execute a six to eight minute interval on the road at that power sometime at the higher end is, is often hard because you got, you might have stopping or, or you might have, you know, caution and, and, and also the safety of actually doing that on the road 
at that speed. You, you're going to be travelling pretty quick to maintain that power. Well, on the other hand, it's quite good not to to be on. When you actually race a bike on the road, you don't have the head mode. You've got to watch your power meter and keep a control over power and actually ride the terrain as well. So, like, if you did all on the trainer, you wouldn't have that skill. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I think probably two thirds, one third need to be in a place where there's, you know, like, uh, what, you're in sunshine coast at the moment. What's that like for that? You've got, you can get out the back there somewhere, can't you? That's pretty good. Yeah. We're, we've yep. got some pretty good roads, but I think also. Coromandel is better, better for it. Yeah, it is. Yep. That, that loop between Tyra and, and the Pioneer Golf Course, you just go back and forth between there, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You have to take a life threatening risk every, every 20 minutes. <laughs> but when you pop back out by the service station onto the main road and you know you're trying to slow down and there's cars coming through it's done yeah but i also think when you do have to do them on the road that accepting that your power might not necessarily be at that top end of what you've been doing on the trainer is also fine yeah yeah what, what sort of power are you putting out 350 to 360 on the trainer they'll probably get to 330 or a bit lower on the road eh? so you accept the lower power on the road yeah so people could do that. I think it's just the reality, more variability and lower overall achievement on the road is probably you know, a, a basic reality of things. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But they did, while we're just talking about this, like, it'd be good to talk about the trainer setup. You just got a permanent old bike on there, eh? At the moment I do. Yeah. Actually, you know what? It's that Quantana Roo that you gave me. So, so my two trainer bikes that I've got at the moment, and this goes way back, is those first two bikes that you ever gave to me when I first started triathlon about four years ago. Both of those are still serving their purpose and they're both on, one's in New Zealand, one's in Australia, and they're both on the trainer. Oh yeah, so one, one is, one's a Kestrel Talon SL that was, I don't know, it must have been about footage 1995, and it actually wasn't even my bike, it belonged to Bevan McKinnon, who's a, a coach of Heather Wells with other athletes, a fitter radio, and... I got it off him after he'd done several Ironmans on it. And then he was going through Milford and Auckland and someone pulled out in front of it, but he crashed into them and, and cracked the frame. And so I scavenged it off him for a hundred bucks and then got it repaired. And, and I did ride it on the road for a bit. And famously, I rode it across the Auckland Harbour Bridge with five other guys before everyone else burst the police barricades and changed over. But unfortunately, it got a flat on the other side. So I was riding down this Harbour Bridge with a cop car behind me with a fit. And, and there you put it. So that's, that bike's got a long history. And I'm a real fan of not throwing those bikes away. I think they're quite useful for that stuff. It's got a huge, I mean, it's set up, it does the job and it's, it's been on, it's been a trainer bike ever since you've given it to me. It's uh, yeah. And then that Quantana Roo is actually, I guess that's what I was originally going to be racing on until that frame cracked. And then he always put some carpet sheeting around the, around the main frame where the crack was, and that's turned into quite a good a trainer bike. So that, that lives in Australia here at the moment. Yeah. You just got to figure out how to change to some better aero bars because those sort of late 90s early 2000s aero bar setups are pretty and compared to the modern ones are pretty shit aren't they yeah yeah so that, that's the thing so i'm real fan of that the other thing people should know uh, is that you've got two things that i always thought were good about your setup is you you have these uh, music people know about music stands like music stands like we're going to they're going to in a second yeah they have notes where they read their notes but Actually, you could tilt them up and use them as little stands to put like your computer on, you know, your food, your gels, your earphones, your phone, you know, any old paraphernalia, drinks go on these music stands, which is a handy part of it being a school. Yeah. Yeah. Should we close this topic now? Okay. And, and also you've got this massive fan. That's the other thing people should know about. I think this is a really important thing about, about 
trade of setups is obviously a heat effect, which significantly impairs your ability to produce power. So if you have no fan on your trainer, you get a sweat everywhere and your power output for heart rate is not very good. So you've got these, not just a, a, a house fan, you've got, what do you call these fans that you've got? They're like those industrial fans. You go to, go to Bunnings, Bunnings will have them, but it's just an extra large fan that yeah, in the winter you actually freeze because it's, it's quite cold. Well, I did in New Zealand anyway. Yeah. And yeah, it's a cooling device, it's essential, essential. Like a yeah. heat pump's not going to do it on, on cooling mode and a regular house fan's not going to do it either. So it's a fan that's at least a measure across on a massive stand and cranks up to a helicopter style output. <laughs> and so I'm not a real fan of it. I'm a real fan of the fan. Yeah. No, for, yeah. for traders, it's like if you're going to ignore the cooling effect and just, you're not getting the true output that you're not. Doing that, I mean, you could do some pedi- adaptation work. It's a different thing, but for the most part, you're better off being cooler, not hotter. Yeah, well, we'll start to see the power decrease and the body temperature actually rise, and and the body not being able to cool it down. So therefore, it's expending more energy to try and cool the body down, and it's like well, we want to be putting that energy into actually the work that we're doing. So it's compromised there in that fact, right? Yeah. So that's that's a bit. And so that's the reverse period, I said, and then, and then that last phase, particularly that last four or five weeks ago, July and May, I think it's just what we would call just-in-time preparation for duration. So build up the, spe- the specificity of the Ironman or 70.3 week up to resemble something building up to the duration of the whole event with quite a lot of time at power that you'll do that. So, and, and a run which goes above and below that. So we might do... A long run, and the long run would be periods of zone two work, but periods in that Ironman pace type heart rate, yeah? Yes, yep, agree. Yep. And then then a, a long bike with, again, plenty of zone two work, but then periods of time with at Ironman cow output generally on the road. Eh? Yep, yeah, and yep. we're not, we're not dropping the zone two work in that early phase either, like obviously there's, there has to be some allowance and compromise for the work that you're doing because the intensity is generally a lot higher. So you need some time to recover from that. And a good way to do that and still keep working in that aerobic zone is, is that zone two training. So quite often the, the volume is going to be lower, isn't it? And it is at the moment, which is fine. You accept that, but I guess potentially the frequency of, of the training that you're doing comes up a little bit. I wanted to talk about in that last specificity stuff about the length of long bike rides because I think we've moved along with this as your career's changed. And so earlier on, we would do six-hour bike rides. We've done a seven-hour bike ride one time. And now as you've become more experienced, I sort of felt with feeling that maybe those aren't necessary anymore and you might not go more than four, three, five or so on the bike. Tell me about what, what do you think about all that? Well, I think coming into the sport of specifically, we talk about Ironman or, or even 70.3, there's, there's a period of time that you have to be out there on the course. You've, you've, you've got to be, you know, you need to be able to ride 180 K. So I think being able to put that in your training program initially for someone that's quite new to the sport is, is pretty important. And I think that that's where that six, you know, five to six hour longer sessions specifically on the bike do come into play and are of value because there's also a big mindset around actually can i ride 180k or can i last the duration of being on the bike for 180k so 
for people that are coming in fairly new to it or or are still on that quite cautious slope of having to execute that time, I, th I think there's a time and place for that. As we've progressed, I think we, we've reflected, and, and particularly this year, that there's not necessarily a need to be out there for seven hours on the bike, six hours on the bike, because we've made a lot of gains in that area and potentially the, the areas of which we still yet to have improvement or want improvement could be spent in better areas of training rather than riding for six hours. Yeah, well, you just get more tired than you need to from that ride and definitely can't do other stuff. But you're probably agreeing as you, as you begin to intermediate, they really hold a lot of psychological value as much as anything else. One time you did do like a, what was that one you did about 210 or 221 or something? Yeah, I think so. I might've been locked down. I mean, again, time and, <laughs> time and a place for that. And, you know, there's some days where you will go out with mates and you might do some of those longer days and that, that might not necessarily be training specific, but I think if we're talking about specificity in, in a training block, there's, there is huge value for someone that is looking to do, let's say an Ironman at the extreme case of needing to ride a needing to have a six hour ride in there. That's just a need. Yeah. So it's interesting though, yeah, there we've got this sort of. Yeah, maybe a 12 week build up for an Ironman, you know, first four, they've still got VO2 type intervals and you know, it's not that specific. You're still training across in three disciplines, you're building a bit of distance and we've got some different things. You might crack into some threshold intervals in the next block, um, talked about the white ones. Well, you'd run ones with maybe eight, one Ks, those types of intervals. Um, and yep. then you get to the last four or five weeks and actually it's just much more specific to build up the volume to your peak with, you know, much more specific. That's what we've done. It seems to work reasonably well. Yep. Yeah. But just going back on that, um, we're not saying that you have to have a 42k run session in there, right? And, and, and where that differentiates from the bike, I think is the running is a lot more dangerous in the fact of for us and what we've experienced is, is there is a higher risk of injury. So it's not like we need to have programmed a, a 42k run somewhere in that pre Ironman block. Yeah. 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 Another probably that you'd be training with it. I mean, they've, they've been even lower again and if you've been like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the accumulation of volume across multiple years contributes and accounts for something, you know? So, so as we've talked about previously, it's like, oh, in the first, maybe look at six months to a year, you can really only handle a certain workload across a week of, of training. And that might be eight hours or that might be six hours, or it might even be 12 hours. And then. The following time after that, whether that's the second six months or you might even be into the two years, you might be able to extend that up to 15 or 16 hours a week. So I, I think there's value and it's something to be said in the accumulative time that you can put together over the course of, of so to speak, an Ironman or training. Yeah. Training yeah. Career. The, the reality is for a professional approach, athlete. Okay, some people might be able to do it for 20 hours a week, but I think that's unusual. It's, you know, the high 20s is what they could handle, but, you know, can't begin and do that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I think you, you've got, you can, you're, you're working with an athlete at the moment who is exactly that, right? Yep. You're just trying to build some base at the moment. And, um, yeah. Yeah, the younger athletes, I think, particularly. You know, just be patient about this, guys. The accumulation of fitness and what the body can adapt to isn't going to be over four weeks. This is over, this is over a year's thing if you're developing. You know, if you're old and worn out, I mean, it's going the other way, but it's like the, you know, for, the, the, for those other ones, it's really a thing. 
Anything else on that topic? I want to get onto this, what failure run when you're not running. Yeah. Well, let's move on to that. Perfect. So you've got a bit of an injury at the to us about anything. Uh, yep. We're coming. All right. It's just, I have a post to be a tendon itis or a bit of basically an inflamed tendon through my, yeah, through my tibia then, which really, I just had to let settle because it was inflamed. So it was just getting it down getting the inflammation down into a point where you could actually put some load through it and then determining how much load we can start putting through it to be safe. So yeah, some strengthening load and also back into some, some running essentially, but that running was only to help it heal rather than any sort of fitness gains to be made of. Yeah. So, so it gives us up with some of those runs over the last week and a half. Well, it started from like 30 seconds jog. 30 seconds walk, that's as low as we got. And you might repeat that for 10 or 20 cycles. I think it was 10 to start with. And then we're up to, what are we at the moment? Like say four by or three by 10 minutes with one minute walk in between. So just giving that chance to, to recover and, and reduce as much load as possible, but still trying to stress it, but not cause any damage. So you know, yeah, cause it actually not too long, if we're traveling to Europe to do it, IT PTO World Champs, then you have to Kona, you want to be running, right? How's it, how do you deal with that? So you can't really run and you can do like 10 times one minutes with one minute rest. doesn't quite cut it. No. So could you do anything else? The answer is yes. I guess go, go rewind there about like three weeks ago, we had that injury and it's, you sort of think it's okay there, but it's now three weeks on where still not really running for fitness sake. We're running for strength and maintenance. You know, it's not like we're running to get fit or to get fitter or to be better. Uh, we're still just running to try and actually improve this problem that we've got. So the frustration starts to become real, you know, and time is ticking and we're thinking we're not running for fitness at the moment. It's so, losing. So we're actually sort of losing. Yeah. And, and, and what can we do to try and maintain or gain without running? And you're not a fan of two machines, one in particular. Yeah. Let's talk about those. Let's talk about the first. No, I don't even know what they call yeah. it. What do you call that stair thing? Well, a stair stepper, stair climber. So if people are familiar with it, you go to a gym and it's like, it's not a stepper that's just got two things you leave your feet on statically. It's like an actual staircase that has three steps on it that you see at any one time and it's just sort of revolving around. Is that accurate? Yeah, extremely. Yeah. It's like, and you, you. And you see a lot of people using them in the gym, but they sort of hang on to it and sort of lever themselves up in this awkward way. And it looks ridiculous. It's a virtue everyone I've ever seen in a gym use it in the public sense, right? Yeah. So how, how do you use it? Well, there's multiple ways. I guess it's really easy to get some threshold work through it. The value of it is the fact that we're not actually putting any impact through our muscles or, or, or joints, essentially. There's, there's, no, there's no direct, let's say like running impact that we're putting through our body. So you climb the stairs at basically a walking pace or just slightly above? Yes. Yeah. Um, and you could determine that. Yeah. And it's amazingly hard. It, it's friggin' hard. Yeah. 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 And uh, it activates, well, we'll talk about the activation of the seat, I suppose. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. We'll jump straight to it. I think there's, you know, like, I guess the focus is to try and get an engagement of that whole posterior chain through the backside and through your glutes, et cetera, which that absolutely does. You can certainly have the, the speed set 
that you're quite that it's quite high and it's revolving quite quickly that you have to try and keep up with it but also what i find is for the actual activation side of things to slow it down and focus on control through the step whereby you might have to balance for that split on one leg has its huge advantage as well so you're on the stair climber thing the, the trouble is you're about a meter and a half off the ground or something ridiculous because they, they are quite high right yeah and, and you don't use the handles you just let go of those and you just use it like climbing a conventional set of stairs with using your hands as a as a as you normally yeah. use your hands to to climb stairs yeah and it's a similar similar pattern as i guess what you do when you run right yep yep but it's just slightly but then you, you can't you can't heel strike like most people do with their full running form so you have to actually land mid foot and see way to get to the next stair and therefore the push off from that foot is you know, through that rear chain, glute activation, hamstring activation, exactly like a good running style would like. Yeah. So, so no, it's, it's, cr- it's, cr- it's crucial that you have that activation, otherwise you won't step onto the next stair, right? And I think the fact of actually slowing the cycle down so it's not at a horrendous speed, you know, prompts that more. Yeah, so it's a real favourite that machine of mine. You can get threshold workouts, you could do easier aerobic workouts. It, it does it without being harmful to you because there's really no impact it simulates running mechanics and, and strength so, so it's a great replacement for running and it, in this case you can do it even with an injury and it's mm. using no issues yep yeah no issues no pain and you, we've got some variations of some different stuff you can go every second steer by doing that you're actually putting more time between the two steps which forces you to have to engage that posterior chain even more because you've got to remain balanced, not for just a split second, but maybe a second and a half to two seconds before you step on the next stair. You've got a knee drive, so you've got to lift your knee higher to get to the next set of stairs. So there's different variables that we can play with. It's interesting. I don't even know if any other people actually use this or it's used in running or it's just common and we don't know about it, but I think it's a fabulous tool that at least we use a lot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the other tool, it's like, cause you, you probably can't do that for an hour and a half. You'd be too buggy. Yes. Yeah. So, so you know, for example, have you, you go to do that after this podcast? So you, we've already done that today. We're going to do a long run without running. A long run. Yeah. I've got a run to do. And then into the gym for that, I guess, aerobic block as such that we're going to, we're going to call it. So, so. Stair step will be one. You might spend 15, 20 minutes on that and then across to the elliptical. Yeah, I'm quite a fan of the elliptical for other reasons. It still gets that rear chain going. And again, if you can, you can alternate, you don't have to push the ski handles as much. You can do it go without no hands and use that as well. I just really work on that activation. I do know that Paula Radcliffe, when she broke the woman's world record for the marathon, it was 218 or whatever it was at the time, 216. She was doing the bulk of her aerobic work on the elliptical. And again, the beauty of the elliptical is there's, you're getting a running like motion with much of the same mechanics, different than the stairs with no zero impact. And so if you do a combination of the stairs and the elliptical, you know, an hour and a half workout when you've got a running, it's still getting a long run in, in my mind. Yep. Yeah, I find that the elliptical doesn't, uh, there's more tendency to be able to get to say a threshold level on the stair climber than there is on the elliptical. The elliptical is more of a strength engagement right at the ends of, you know, that full hip opener. Yeah. Uh, pretty, you, can add, you can add a little bit of resistance in there as well, yep. which is quite a good thing too. Yeah. My trouble with those machines is every time I go on elliptical, it's got a different interface. 
and I have no idea how to use it. So, you know, of course I don't follow instructions. So I'm just randomly pushing buttons. Yeah. And your legs are going like 10 times faster than your arms. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you choose not to hold the handle. So the legs are just going full tilt. Yeah. What are you about that? And there's, there's the idea of just jumping into the sea and doing water running, but it's pretty lame, isn't it really for. Wow. Yeah. The stimulation of your mind is not, yeah. you can do that, but I think. Yeah, we've found that it's quite a good alternative. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, running without running and injury. Hopefully you don't need to do that all waiting harder. That would be a bummer. But yeah, I, I think it's, I think the other one that we've talked about is sometimes we in the preparatory phase with the VO2 and stuff, we might do more running volume by doing split runs. So maybe two runs in a day. Yeah. But one of those runs could be that, that combination of, you could be in the gym and you could do you know, 10 minutes on the treadmill, 10 minutes on the stair climb, 10 minutes on the elliptical. Rush take that through twice or something. There's an second there. I was around and stuff with a little yeah. impact where you're really trying to get their volume up without injury, injury risk. Exactly. And I, I, I don't see the stair stepper as a must for if you've got an injury only. Like, I mean, I, I've been using, I've used it multiple times through different phases of, of training without being injured as well. And it's got value there. But the, the huge plus of it is it's, there's really zero impact, which, you know, running itself, as I said, is dangerous. It, it's got it's got that that risk factor to it of of injury at some point. Yeah, and I think I mean this is affecting you particularly, but it's something I think about it as you're an aging athlete. It becomes harder and harder to run, and definitely tightens you up. You can't just throw limitless volumes of long runs like you did when you were younger. And, you know, people who are listening to this who get older, I think that is that adjustment as well. It's really. There's plenty of good things that resemble that, that they've equal fitness benefits and they're quite specific that work out quite well. Yep. Yep. And I think that's, you see it typically in the cycling, right? The, the, a lot of your older folk or generation are still out there riding regardless of their age. And it's, there's just no impact on that. Yeah. Yeah. And impact does have a, you know, a weird, a weird tear te effect. Just uh, if you've already got some osteoarthritis or that sort of stuff, anyway, probably it's always. Yeah. But after a certain amount, yeah, but just exercising always makes it better, but it's all. That's probably that topic. Cool. What else did we say we were going to talk about? No, I think that's pretty much it for this, for this block. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about strength training next time. Sounds good. We'll see when we get Andreas on and have him talk to him in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Cool. Enjoy it. Talk soon. If you haven't done so already, jump online, check out sfuels.com. You'll hear Grant and I more often than not referring to sfuels in our conversation chats and how we or I both apply that in training and racing. Not only do they have product that I can apply in training and racing, they also have lifestyle products that you can use on a day-to-day basis from protein powders to muesli to lifestyle bars. The product is just unreal. If you haven't done so already, jump online, check out sfuels.com.